0: Of it. I know that this is a heavy subject, and it's not an easy one to listen to. But we have to kind of, we have to go through it. We have to learn this stuff, and it all seems kind of dark. And the whole first part of the message is going to seem kind of dark. But we're going to see the light afterwards, where God triumphs and those things that He gives with it. So bear with me. We still have more dark stuff to look at, but we have to do it because you have to know what's He going to do, how is He going to do it, when's He going to do it, where is He going to do, do it. So. Next thing we need to know: are What are his tactics like? Where is he going to attack? Um, Wayne Grudem says this. He says, just as Satan tempted Eve to sin against God, so he tried to get Jesus to sin, and thus to fail in his mission as the Messiah. The tactics of Satan's demons are to use lies, deception, murder, and every other kind of destructive activity to attempt to cause people to turn away from God and to destroy themselves. He will, try to use, he will try to use any device that he come, can. He'll come as an angel of light. He will use false teachers. He will use false prophets. He will try to separate us from the body. See, a lion will always try to separate its uh, target from the herd. So it can get it. It will get it alone and then it will attack. And he's going to try to make us isolate. Stay away from church. Stay away from care groups. Stay away from fellowship so that we are left alone. Don't be the lamb that is separated from the flock. His goal is to get us away from God by causing us to sin. And he will attack us in the area that we are most vulnerable for. Any area that you are vulnerable in, this is where Satan will attack. Anything that you struggle with, this is where he will attack. So try to think, where is it that you're most likely to fall? Where is it you've fallen in the past? Where is it that you've struggled with the most? Is it pride? Is it anxiety or fear? Is it selfishness? Is it your appetites, your desires, your love for the riches of this world? Or is it through suffering? Is it through persecutions? Anywhere that you are vulnerable, this is where he's going to attack. He's not going to attack your strong points, he's going to attack your your weak points. So the next thing we need to know. So that was where he's going to attack, right? And probably one whenever you're weakest. Where he's going to attack anywhere that he can that you're weak at. So um, how will he attack? There's a Puritan lived in the 1600s. His name is Thomas Brooks. He wrote a book that was called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. It's 253 pages long. And he says, Satan will attack this way and this is how you do against it. And he'll like five or six. 253 pages over and over and over. This is how he's going to attack, 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 attack. So his, his attacks are endless. And Thomas Brooks says, he didn't finish the book, he just stopped writing. <laughs> There's someone who said, I just stopped writing. That was it. I couldn't write anymore. And so... In your bulletin, he, there's a, an outline of this sermon, and he says there's really like four categories where Satan attacks. I might as well look at these four categories. The first one is to draw us into sin. And so he tries to draw us into sin in a bunch of different ways. Obviously, I'm not going to go through a 253-page book, but I want to highlight just like three different ways that he causes us to look at sins, and then we'll look at the other ones real quick. But one of the ways that he tries to lure us into sin is by to, he lessens the impact of sin, he lessens sin itself, and then the outcome or the impact of sin itself. And so what he tries to do is he tries to paint it beautiful colors, he says. He tries to, um, like if you're fishing, you take like a, a, uh, let's say you're using live bait, right? You take the worm and you put it on the hook. That's what sin is but he hides the hook. And that's what Satan does. So he makes it look beautiful and wonderful that you want to take it and hides the hook. And so if you're fishing with artificial lures, they're bright and they're streaming and they, they do all kinds of stuff and they attract the fish. But the fish don't see the hooks and that's what Satan does is he just shows us the good side of sin, but he hides the hook. The other thing that he does to try to lessen this impact is he tries to show us that God is all mercy and God is all love and there is no judgment. Right? If God is all love, why is this happening to me? How many times have we heard this? If God really loves people, this wouldn't happen. We see this all the time. Another thing that he tries to do is he tries to make it look like it's easy to repent and just walk away from sin. Have you ever been able to just walk away from sin? You can't. And yet it sounds so easy. Just repent and just go away. And so he tries to lessen um, or tries to Draw you into this. One of the easiest examples about how he draws us into us would be like drugs or alcohol, and you know we see this, and it just seems like it's no big deal at one time. It's just a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and yet that hook is so strong that once once it gets in, it's almost impossible to let go. The other way he tries to lure us into sin is trying to make us envious of unbelievers. He shows us all these good things that these unbelievers have. We look at the money we have. We look at the financial freedom that we have. We look at all the friends they have and the popularity they have and all of these things. And then we look at these Christians and he tries to only let us see the bad things. He tries to show us the suffering that the Christian has. He tries to show us the Christians who are poor. He tries to show us the Christians who don't have a lot of friends and aren't popular. And it's like, you don't want to be like that, right? You want to be like this over here. It's one of the things that he, that he does. He tries to make the believers look way worse than the unbelievers. Next thing. He tries to draw us into sin by making us make bad judgments. Bad decisions and everything. We make bad financial decisions, and then he lures us into wrong ways to get out of those things. He tries to make us choose bad company, choose bad friends, choose wicked friends. This one he seems to really hit on the young people for some reason, choosing bad company. I had uh, went to uh, uh, the courthouse with a friend a couple weeks ago, and we were sitting there, and we were watching all the people who were going up before the judge, that almost every single one of them was a young man in his 20s. There was one, I think, who may have been in his 30s, but the rest were all in their 20s. And two of them we saw ran into each other, and they thought it was like old home days. And they were like joking. They were laughing. It's like, oh, what are you in for? And the one guy says, what is he in for? Uh, Oh, assault. He said, I'm in for assault. He said, but I don't remember assaulting anybody this year. Maybe last year, that was it. The other guy says, oh, yeah, I'm in for possession. They said, so I got high on the way in. I figured, well, if they bust me for possession, I might as well possess. And that was the attitude that they had. Satan had drawn him into this bad company. And draw him into this sin. And you can just see it. I was in there. So those are some ways that he draws us into sin. The next section that Thomas Brooke talks about what Satan uses in these tools is to ensnare us into the ways of the world. He tries to get us to seek riches. He tries to get us to seek greatness. He goes through this with pride and shows us our abilities and the things that we have. And then he points out other people who don't have the abilities, who don't, have the same things that we have. He brings up conflicts, divisions, quarrels, and bitings, And all of these things, these seeking of riches, these pride things, all of this stuff, we can see this 24 hours a day on TV, right? Every commercial is designed to make you get into it, right? And not be happy with what you have, but to grab a piece of that, that world. The next area that he attacks is he tries to keep us from holy duties. He will try to keep us from going to church. He will try to keep us from reading. He will try to keep us from praying, from spending time in fellowship. Any of these things that will help you grow, he will keep you from. When you're praying, he'll throw in wandering thoughts. When you're at a church listening to a sermon, he'll throw in wandering thoughts. Think about it. Have you ever once sat through a sermon and focused the entire time without having some thoughts or some distractions come into it? No offense, Paul, but <laughs> I can say I have never once in my entire life sat through a sermon without distractions. It's, it's, it's one of the things that Satan does. Why? Because if you pay attention and you listen and you take it to heart and you use it, you're going to grow, Right? Satan doesn't want that, so he will attack. Those thoughts will keep coming in every time you go on a Sunday morning. The next area. He will try to keep you in a sad, doubting, questioning state of mind. He will bring up your sins. He will make you remember your sins way more than you remember Christ and his forgiveness of your sins. He will try to get you to doubt that God's grace is true. He'll try to get you to doubt in any way. And as soon as you doubt, which we know that we all do, he will jump on you. And he will say that you're a failure, that you have no faith. You, your faith isn't real. Because you've doubted. How can you have a real faith if you don't? And this is what he is going to say. One remedy for that, just quick. Think about Jesus' disciples. We know that they are Christians, right? And how many times does Christ say, oh, you have little faith, why are you doubting? How many times does he say that to his disciples? He will try to suggest the reason you have this war going on in the first place, the reason you battle is because you're a hypocrite. If you weren't a hypocrite, you wouldn't be battling any of this stuff, right? This is what he does. But that battle is the proof that we're Christians. That battle is the proof. That we are Christians. Listen to Thomas Brooks as he uh, makes this point. Uh, we have an overhead for this, yeah. Just how Satan attacks in this era. He says, Though Satan can never, never rob a believer of his crown, yet such is his malice and his envy that he will leave no stone unturned, no means unattempted to rob them of their comfort and their peace, to make their life a burden and a hell unto them and to cause them to spend their days in sorrow and in mourning, in sighing, in complaining, in doubting, and questioning. He cannot rob you of your crown. Jesus Christ has given you that. But while we're here, he will try to rob you of everything you can, any bit of comfort, any bit of peace, assurance, or joy. He will. We see people living in this depression and this defeat all the time. Never living as a conqueror, but always living as a conqueror. It shouldn't be so. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus Christ has forgiven all of our sins. He has promised a place with Him in heaven and guaranteed that He'll bring us safely there. But He throws these sins into our faces all the time. And we listen to Him we listen to him we fail and he keeps on reminding of us that in order to weaken our faith to make our faith in effective every time he reminds us of our sins we need to remind him of our savior we need to take that time when he brings up those sins to thank Jesus Christ for forgiving our sins and one thing that we really need to know on this point is the difference between sinning and being under the reign of sin. Because there's two different things. And the Bible's clear that we're not to be under the reign of sin, but under the reign of Christ. And yet we all sin. So how do you balance that out? How do you balance out that difference? To paraphrase Thomas Brooks, he says, when sin reigns in our soul, we embrace it. We obey its commands willingly. But when we're not under the reign of sin, but we're under the reign of Christ, we don't embrace sin, and we don't obey, obey it willingly. He uses the example of the difference between a king and a tyrant. A king gives us commands. A king gives us order. A king tells us what to do, and we obey him out of love, out of, uh, because we want to. A tyrant gives us something to do, And we obey it, but we obey it out of hostility, and we obey it out of hatred. That's the difference between under the reign of Christ and under the reign of sin. If you're under the reign of sin, you'll do sin willingly, eagerly, joyfully, looking forward to it. If you're under the reign of Christ and you sin, you don't look forward to it. And when you're done, you repent of it, and you feel of it, and you can feel the weight. And so you go to Christ and you ask for his forgiveness. And that's a sign that you're a believer. And that's a sign that you're not under the reign of sin, but you're under the reign of Christ. So those are the ways that Satan attacks. We looked at Satan. We looked at his nature. We looked at some of his attacks. So that was kind of all the dark side. That was all the, all the kind of like depressing stuff that we you know, feel and we want to ignore or hope that we're above or beyond or better. So now we come to the part where we will have victory. Now we have come to the part where we can fight. Now we come to the part where we can wage war in this battle. So how do we do it? The first thing that Peter tells us is to be sober-minded. It's our mindset. It's how we think of these things. How are we um, aware of what's happening in our lives, what's happening around us. We want to be aware of Satan's attack before Satan attacks. See, if we know our, our enemy's plans, then we'll know where he, where to defend, right? If we know he's going to attack, we're going to know where he is, where we defend. So, in this book by Thomas Brooks, 253 pages, Satan does this, 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 253 pages answers, the first two words of every single answer are, consider this. Consider this. That's our mindset. Be aware of what the attacks are and consider them. And consider what it is that Christ has done for you. Consider what it is that the Holy Spirit is doing for you. Consider what the Bible says. Consider what the other people around you are going through, the other believers. Consider the outcome of your actions. It doesn't sound like much of a weapon just to consider this, but it's a great weapon because it's about our mindset. It's what we think about. It's what we focus. It's how we approach everything that we get into. So here's an example from the book. He says, "That first one that we talked about where he makes sin look good, right? It's like the hook on the bait. It looks real good. It looks real pretty. He paints it up like that. So he says, we are to consider this. We are to consider that sin is not any less vile when it's painted. It's just as bad when it looks good as when it isn't. So we need to see through that look. He says, consider the more that sin is painted, the more dangerous it is. The more it's painted, the more dangerous it is. He says, consider how you will look at this sin a few hours from now. So we're in the place, and we're being tempted, and we can see this (coughs) enemy. And he's like, stop. Three hours from now, what are you going to wish that you did? Consider that now when you're going through it. He says, consider this. That sin cost the lifeblood of our Lord Jesus. Be sober-minded. See, if you change your thinking, you will change your actions. This is about our heart. This is about our soul. This is about our mind. So that's the first way. What's the second way? The second way he tells us, he says, is to watch. When we don't watch, we fail. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane tells Peter to watch and to pray. What does Peter do? He falls asleep. This is the same Peter who wrote this book, and now he's telling us to watch. And it's a warning, really, because if Peter can fall asleep, then we can fall asleep. Um, We have an overhead for this one. This is uh, Edmund Clowney, and he says this. He says, The danger to the Christian is not that he is helpless before the devil, for he is equipped with the whole armor of God. The shield of faith will extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. The danger to the Christian is that he will fail to resist, that he will not watch and pray, that he will not put on the whole armor of God and to take the sword of the Spirit. We're to watch our lives. We're to watch our what we do. We're to watch our motivations. We are to watch what it is that we seek for. We are to watch what it is that tries to control us and ends up controlling us, where we keep falling over and over. We're to watch how we watch other people who sin. Do we only see the good things that they have? Do we only see the material things and the peace and you know from worldly things that they have, or do we see the sin? 1 Timothy 4.16 says this, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. If we don't watch, we will be caught up in the world, and we will fall for Satan's uh, traps. So that's our mindset, right? Be sober-minded, we're to be watchful. That's how we're supposed to approach this. Now, what are some of the other weapons that God gives us? One of the weapons is the ability to resist Satan. Verse 9 says, resist him. James chapter 4 says this, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. If we're to win this battle, we must resist him. Once again, we have to be watching to know when to resist him, to know when he's attacking, to even be aware that an attack is going on. That's that sober-minded, right? We just can't be above and not paying attention to the thing. We need to be awake and aware. And we must resist at the very first temptation, at the very first drop. It's easier to pull up a sapling than it is to pull up a tree. It's not enough only to resist, right? Because Satan's goal is to draw us away from God. So James says that we are to draw near to God. Resist him and to draw near to God. So Satan's absence doesn't mean God's presence. We resist him but we draw near to God, right? Just like the absence of pain doesn't mean the presence of health, right? There's some cancers that you never feel, And yet they're there. So, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. What is our next weapon? Our next weapon, it says, is faith. He says it is through faith that we are able to resist Him. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul talks about putting on that spiritual armor of God. And he says the shield of faith will extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. And then he tells us about the sword of the Spirit, to use the sword of the Spirit. And see, We use both of these things at the same time. Think about it. One of the darts that Satan uses is fear. Right? We've all had fear about a certain situation, no matter what it is. So if you think about verses, and even if you don't remember the the reference, you remember the verses, right? One is from Psalms 27. It says, The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 1 John 4.4 says, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. If we stop and think about those verses, right? He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And if we really believe it, if we really believe it, if we believe that the Holy Spirit who is in us is greater than he that is in the world, that's faith. And that's what's going to extinguish those fiery darts. That's what's going to enable us to draw near to God. If you want to build up your faith, if you want to make it stronger than what it is, that you have this faith in order to resist him. When you read your Bible, read a sentence, no more than that, or even just like a phrase of a sentence that's in there, and stop and ask yourself, do I really believe this? Do I believe what is written right there? And your faith will be made stronger as you stop and think and believe it. You know, come... Because if you don't believe it, what's the alternative? To reject it. To reject God. To reject Christ. To reject his word. So if you want to build your faith up while you're reading, ask, Do I really believe this? Do I really believe that he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world? Do I really believe that the Lord is my light? That Jesus is my salvation and I have no one to fear? That's one of the ways that we do it. Our next weapon is an extremely powerful one. This one is the body of believers. This is the fellowship. This is us together. We need the whole body of Christ in order to win this battle. Verse 9 says, Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Satan will try to separate us. Satan will try to drive us into isolation. Look at how he harassed Job, right? Remember Job in the Old Testament. He uh, loses his kids, he loses his uh, possessions, he loses his health. He's sitting down there. His three friends, are, you know, harassing him for you know days and days and days. Listen to what Satan says to him through his friends. Call now. Is there anyone? Who will answer you? To which of your holy ones will you turn? You see that? He's saying, look, who's going to listen to you anyway? Who are you going to turn to? Which one of these people are going to come to you? And that's how he does it. That's how he gets in there. That's how he breaks us away from the fellowship. That's how he isolates us. Peter's telling us we're not the only ones who are going through this. Everyone here is going through these same attacks that he is using. So as a body, we must stick together. We must help each other out. We must be open. We must be the ones that someone can go to. We must be the ones who will listen. We must be the ones who will be there so someone can turn to. And we must fight and support each other. We must build each other up as an army. This is what the body is for. The body is one of the greatest Ways that Christ has for our victory. Our victory is what He wants. It's not, you know, Satan's attacking us, falling. He wants to build us to build us up. The most powerful weapon of all. The most powerful weapon of all. The one that Peter says for last. He says is that we know the outcome. We have hope. It is God Himself who will help us. We know the end already, right? Satan's defeated. Satan will be judged. Satan will be sentenced. Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire. Him and all of his demons will be gone. It is Christ who will triumph. It is our Christ who will triumph. And so, this gives us hope. And Peter says it's God himself. He says it's God himself who will restore. God himself who will confirm God himself who will strengthen. God himself who will establish. How many times do we try to strengthen ourselves on our own? How many times do we try to restore ourselves on our own after we're falling? And Peter's saying it's God himself who will, who will do this. After doing battle with the world or with the flesh or with the devil, oftentimes we feel broken. We feel weak. We feel run down. We feel like we have... We feel like either we're not a Christian or we're a horrible Christian or a weak Christian or a worthless uh, Christian. But Peter says God himself will restore us. And we need God himself to restore us, both in our spirit and in our fellowship. We need God himself to strengthen us so that we can stand again. We need God himself to confirm and to establish us. We can't do this. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. We need God himself who began a good work in us to carry it on to completion to the day of Jesus Christ. God himself will bring us into eternal glory in Christ. When Satan's gone, when he's thrown into the lake of fire, there will be no more battles. There will be no more wars. There will be no uh, doubts. There will be no more failings. There will be no more any of this stuff. We will be together in heaven as a body with Christ. And it is Christ who will see us there. If the band can come up. Verse 11 says this, To him be the dominion forever. And ever. Amen. The NIV translates that word dominionist power. It says, To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Edmund Cloney says it so well. Just look at this. Look at this last quote. As he's reading this, Edmund Cloney's reading this verse, to him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And he says, Overwhelmed by the promise of God's triumphant grace. The Apostle Peter can only worship. To him be the power forever and ever. That power of God, the right hand of his grace that raised Christ from the dead, is our hope and our assurance. Peter is not wishing or even praying that God's power may endure He is rejoicing in it. That power to accomplish the wonder of his will is forever his. We want to rejoice the same way that Peter did to Him be the dominion, to Him be the power, to Him be the glory forever and ever. Because He will take this battle, the battle of all three of those battles, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and He is the victorious one. It is Jesus Christ who is the victorious one. He's victorious through us. He gives us these tools. He gives us this mindset. He tells us all of these things to be watchful to be sober-minded, to resist with faith. But at the end, it's himself who restores us and brings us into his glory forever. Father God, we come before you. And we thank you, Father, that the victory is yours. These messages like this, Father, that speak about enemies and warfare and the places that we are vulnerable to attacks, are oftentimes, Father, depressing, oftentimes difficult to listen to. And yet, Father, these are the very building blocks that we need, Father. So help us to remember these things, that our enemy was a created being and he has limitations. There are many things that he can't do, but there are many ways that he can attack us. And, Father, you were not created. You do not have limitations. And the things that you will do to see us through are far, 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 far greater than any of his tools, any of his weapons, any of his ways. So, Lord Jesus, I just pray that you will take this message to our heart and that this week as we are attacked from the outside or from the inside, Father, that we will remember these things. Help us to be watchful and aware so we can see them coming and we know when to battle. Father, help us to resist Him. Help us to use that shield of faith. Help us to take up that uh, Word of God and use those things together, Father. And I just thank you in your name. Amen.